When you watch a crime show on TV, you normally know who the killer is within an hour. In real life, it's rare that any sort of case is solved within days. But sometimes, it takes several years before the victim is even known, let alone the killer. I'm your host, Koi, and this is the story of Tammy Alexander. On the morning of November 10th, 1979, a farmer in Caledonia, New York, woke up. What started out to be a normal morning quickly changed. The night before, there was a bad rainstorm. As the farmer was checking on his cornfields near the Janice River, he saw red clothing in the field. He had had issues in the past with hunters trespassing and figured it was the same thing. As he entered the rows of corn and approached what he thought was a trespasser, he found something much different. It was the body of a young woman. The farmer quickly exited the cornfield and notified the police. John York was one of the first Livingston County deputies on scene. He observed a young female who was fully clothed. She had two gunshot wounds. One was to her head, just over her right eye, and the other was to her back. The pockets of her pants were turned inside out, which led investigators to believe that the killer took whatever was in her pockets, including any sort of identification. Investigators followed drag marks to a roadway and located a spot of blood on the ground next to the road. It was believed that the heavy rain from the night before washed away a lot of potential evidence. The medical examiner later ruled that the female was first shot in the head while she was standing next to the road that ran alongside the cornfield. She was then drugged into the cornfield where she was shot in the back and left for dead. The first step of this investigation was to try and ID her. With no sort of identification on her and no one anywhere nearby reporting a missing person similar to her, there were a lot of questions in an uphill battle. The woman was approximately 5 feet 3 inches tall and weighed 120 pounds. She was estimated to be between 13 and 19 years old. She had brown eyes and light brown hair, which was about shoulder length. She had tan lines from a bathing suit, which is what led investigators to believe that she wasn't from around there, because upstate New York wasn't known for having warm and sunny days for tanning in October and November. She was wearing a male's red windbreaker jacket that had black stripes. The inside of the jacket had a label for Auto Sports Products, Inc. She had a male's plaid button-up shirt on with tan pants. The red Auto Sports Products jacket was produced as a promotional item for a giveaway, but it couldn't be traced back to where or when it was given away, or to who. After releasing a little bit of information on her, investigators spoke with a waitress at a nearby diner who believed that the woman was there the night before she was found. 
She was eating with an older white male. The waitress described the male as being about 5 feet 9 inches tall. He wore black wire-rimmed glasses and he also drove a tan station wagon. The male paid for his and her food before they left together. With no identification and no leads on where she was from, the investigation began to slow down a little. In the 1980s, John York, who was one of the first deputies on scene, became the sheriff in Livingston County. He continued to keep the case active and to follow up on any leads, trying to identify the young woman or where she may have been reported missing. Then, in 2006, new evidence was tested. Pollen. So, pollen can do a little bit more than make you sneeze. Apparently, it can help narrow down where you have been. Well, let me rephrase that. If the right people using the right tools are working with it, it can help narrow down where you have been. In 2006, forensic paleontology was done on the clothing that the victim was wearing. The clothing was sent to a lab at Texas A&M University. The lab collected pollen from the clothing and researchers determined where the grains of pollen had come from. They also collected a sample of pollen from around the area where the crime scene was. Some of the pollen grains did not match what was collected from the crime scene. And those specific grains would have come from California, Arizona, or Florida. Those are also the places where you may get enough sun to have tan lines in the fall. But even though that narrowed down different regions where the victim may have came from, it still did not lead to her identity. In September of 2014, California artist Carl Kopelman, who was also the moderator for the Web Sleuths online community, came across the flyer for a missing person. The flyer struck him as oddly familiar. Back in 2010, he sketched a portrait for the National Missing and Unidentified Person System, the portrait of a young woman from a 1979 case in New York. And now he was looking at a missing persons flyer for someone who resembled that portrait. Carl emailed the Livingston County Sheriff's Office all the information that he had. And on January 26, 2015, more than 35 years after the murder, the unidentified victim finally had a name and was identified as Tammy Alexander. Tammy was born November 2, 1963, in Atlanta, Georgia meaning that when she was killed, she was only 16 years old. She moved down to Brooksville, Florida with her mom. Her father wasn't in her life much, and it was mostly her mom, stepfather, and her sister Pamela who moved out of the house to live with their grandma when she was just 11 years old. Pamela always believed that Tammy ran away from home to start a new life, a better life. She always imagined Tammy as being married with a house and family, creating a better life for her own children than she had growing up. Because their mother was addicted to prescription medications, was emotionally volatile, and lost her temper a lot. Tammy's mom worked as a waitress at a truck stop. When Tammy was a teenager, she started working there too. Then a pattern of running away began. At one point, 
Tammy and a friend ran away hitchhiking with truckers to get out to California. When they got there, the friend ended up calling her parents, who paid for them to get a plane ticket back. Tammy's mother, Barbara Jenkins, died January 17, 1998. In her obituary, it stated that her daughter Tammy was deceased, which is what she believed to be the case. Now, about the missing persons flyer that Carl came across. In 2014, Laurel Noel, who was a high school friend of Pamela's, got to wondering about what happened to Tammy, where she was or what she was doing. She ran away a lot as a teenager, so when she was 16, did she run away and start a life somewhere else? So Laurel turned to social media to try and find her. There was no luck, but she came across Pamela, who lived in Panama City at the time. And she hadn't lived with Tammy since she was 11 years old. As the two began reaching out to more family and friends, they learned that it was a little bit more than just Tammy ran away again and started a new life. She hadn't reached out to anyone since 1979. Their concern grew even more when they tracked down an ex-boyfriend who also hadn't heard from her since the spring of 1979. At that time, they started worrying that something bad happened to her, and no one ever knew. In August of 2014, they spoke with the Hernando County Sheriff's Office in Florida, who advised that Tammy was never reported missing by her mother back in the 1970s. They immediately filed a missing persons report for her, and then just months later is when Carl saw the flyer and helped connect the pieces. For when Tammy actually left home and under what circumstances, it isn't entirely known. But it's believed that she left between 1977 and 1979, and that she hitchhiked often, traveling across the country to California and then to New York. Now that Tammy was identified and her story was coming together piece by piece, the next step was to identify the killer. This murder was one that Henry Lee Lucas confessed to. If you haven't listened to my episode on him, he was the person that confessed to hundreds of murders across America. All but three were believed to be false confessions, including ones where he physically couldn't have been at the scene at the time of the murder. This case was one that he couldn't give very many details on, and he also didn't know the victim's name, so it was believed that this was another false confession by him. Christopher Wilder was a serial killer in the 80s. At one point, it was believed that he could have been responsible for Tammy's murder, which isn't so far-fetched. Wilder's first confirmed murder was in 1984, but if you look at his path of traveling, it is in the same places as Tammy's, Florida, Texas, California, and New York. And his victims, they were all young women ranging from 16 to 23 years old. There were at least eight confirmed victims, but the strongest thing connecting that theory to Tammy is that Wilder was into racing, and the jacket that Tammy was found wearing, it was later found out that Wilder had clothing of the same brand. Which, it could all be a coincidence. There could have been thousands or millions of people with that brand. Investigators were never able to place Wilder in the area at the same time, and they were never able to interview him about Tammy's case, 
because he died in a police shootout in 1984 when state troopers tried to arrest him in New Hampshire. Because Tammy's travels stretched so far, the FBI posted billboards all throughout the country with Tammy's information. With stuff being posted all over the country, I would have expected a ton of calls in. Even if they weren't real tips coming in, investigators received 76 new leads. The FBI, or Livingston County Sheriff's Office, hasn't released exactly what this tip was, but one tip was called, in a news briefing, a significant tip, which came from a truck driver in Tennessee. Investigators also learned that Tammy spent time with a prison ministry group in Young Harris, Georgia. By 2016, investigators identified three men involved in that group that they labeled as persons of interest. They collected DNA samples from them and compared it to a male DNA sample that was found on Tammy's clothing. None of them matched the DNA that was found on her clothing. As of now, in 2022, the guy that Tammy was seen having dinner with has not been identified. It's not known if he's a suspect, if they parted ways and she hitchhiked after, or much more information. The case is still actively being worked by investigators who are trying to find answers. And this is going to bring us to a conclusion of this episode of Crime Nerds. Thank you for listening.